How you doing? Good? Good. Glad that you're here. I, I'm pumped too. I can't tell you how excited I am that 317 Collective has produced their first song. First of many more to come. This has been a dream for the last four or five years of having a team together that can do these kind of things. And it's not just going to stop with music. We're going to do all kinds of stuff uh, that other churches can use just across the world. So it's going to be cool to see what God does through that through First Baptist Burleson. Uh, we also have some anniversaries that we're celebrating. Uh, Christopher Cass, our executive pastor, he and his wife, Amy, are celebrating four years here on our staff. Awesome. Yes. Sam Ross, who is our life group pastor, he and his wife, Kelsey, also celebrating four years here on our staff. That's cool. In fact, uh, Sam is preaching at South Burleson Baptist Church today, supply preaching for them today. Uh, so multi-talented guy. Uh, also, Don Newberry, who is minister to our seniors, uh, he and his wife, Brenda, have been on our staff for three years. So very excited about what those guys are doing. And uh, as you see those couple, t tell them how much you appreciate them and, and all that they do and how much they mean to you as they serve uh, on our church staff. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12. We're going through this Roman series called Not Ashamed. And in Romans 12, Paul is, is pushing us towards something he's been building for 11 chapters, to a response to what he's been telling us that comes out of a desire for you and I as Christ followers to live the called and power-filled Christian life. The first 11 chapters, Paul's been talking to us about us, about our sin, how sin separated us, what sin how it devastates us. And then chapters 8 through 11, he begins to highlight the mercies of God. We see the love of God, the grace of God through Jesus Christ and how that was demonstrated. And then we talked about last week about our response to who Jesus is, that if we will proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is boss, Jesus is in control, he is the master, he is the ruler of my life, then we'll be saved. And I ask you the question, is Jesus just a part of your life or is he truly Lord of your life? And we discovered last week that Jesus only comes one way. He only comes as Lord. He doesn't come as a compartment. He doesn't come as a section. He is life. He is all. And so now Paul in Romans chapter 12 is going to push us towards this understanding of our response to all this he's been telling us. And so if you have your Bibles, look at Romans chapter 12. He's going to talk to us about First of all, presenting ourselves as a sacrifice to God, and then secondly, of being renewed, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So he's going to challenge us in one way to what it means to be a living sacrifice, and then he's going to show us how to do that. So look at verse 1 of Romans chapter 12, probably a very famous verse, these two verses for most of us. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, a living sacrifice. He actually uses three words here to describe the sacrifice, but he starts with a living sacrifice. So when I say the word sacrifice, what does that mean to you? Uh, maybe you think about working out or, or playing sports or playing an instrument and the sacrifice that you make to be able to become better. If you've been in church for any length of time, you may reflect back to the Old Testament sacrifices where animals were sacrificed, grain was sacrificed, fruits and vegetables were sacrificed. There was, it was an offering to God for different reasons. 
So if I were to ask you, okay, in what ways do you sacrifice now to God? How would you respond? What, what does it mean today to be a sacrifice to God? Now, most of us probably would say, well, I sacrifice Sunday mornings. I could sleep in. Or I could be doing something else rather than going to church. Or I, I sacrifice a 10% of my income before taxes uh, as my tithe. And sometimes I give more as a sacrifice. I sacrifice my time in serving. I serve at Promises. I, I serve uh, guest services here at the church. I'm, I'm on the safety team here at the church. I serve in different capacities. This is my sacrifice. And, and I think naturally we kind of go there, but this is not, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about sacrificing a section or a segment of your life. He's talking about living your life as a sacrifice, that it's all or nothing. And it reflects back to what he was talking about in the previous chapter, that Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord of your life, then the natural response is, I will be a living sacrifice for him. Now, living sacrifice is an oxymoron, right? It's like jumbo shrimp or pretty ugly. It, it does, okay, living sacrifice. Sacrifices die. Go back to the Old Testament. An animal didn't just give a, a leg, say, it's only a flesh wound. No, they gave their whole life, right? It was, it was total annihilation. It was everything. It was all or nothing. And so this is the image that Paul is driving us to, being a good Jewish guy that he is, that we understand this idea of a sacrifice. And he says, you present your bodies. So presenting, that's something that we are offering. We are presenting. And the idea behind this is it's a once and for all event. You invite Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of your life. Your response is to present your body as a living sacrifice, and that continues until you go to heaven. It's like a, the marriage vow. When you stood before God and a preacher in the congregation and shared your vows with one another, the intent was till death do you part. So this is the same idea Paul is saying. Look, this living sacrifice goes on. It's who you are now in Christ. And he says, present your body. So here he means in totality, everything you were, everything you are, everything you will be, everything you own, everything you have, all your gifts and talents, now they all belong to the Lord. He is over all things, you. He is in control. You may remember as a child, I remember singing this song, oh, be careful little eyes what you see, oh, be careful little eyes what you see. The Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. You thought, thing. And now you know I can't. And then you go to your mouth. Oh, be careful, little mouth. Oh, be careful, little ears. Oh, be careful, little hands. Oh, be careful, little feet. And maybe we need an adult version of that song because it's, it's great. I am giving Jesus everything that I am, which means now I will not look at anything that is dishonoring to God. I will not look at pornography because it dishonors God, because it is wicked. Now, guys, this is probably more of a thing for us than it is for women because the way God wired us. God wired us to be stimulated visually, which is awesome how God wired us this way. But it's also a major temptation. And we're bombarded with this every day, all kinds of images thrown our way. Hey, the, ad, the old adage, sex sells, that works, especially for guys. Man, it doesn't matter what you're selling. You put a woman, a good-looking woman in a bikini, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> it may be hair removal. I don't, I don't, I'm buying it because I saw it, right? That's just the way we're wired. And so all these images coming at us all the time, we can't stop it. I mean, you can't avoid it. But what you can avoid is the lingering stare. 
A woman comes by in tight clothing, cleavage showing. You can't help but, I mean, she's right there in your face. What do I do? Well, first of all, you don't walk or watch away. Walk away, right? You don't keep staring. You don't linger. Do what Craig Rochelle suggests. Bounce the eyes. <laughs> Bounce the eyes. I mean, sometimes you look like a bobblehead, right? Depending on where you are. You're just like, okay, maybe I just need to look at my feet because those aren't attractive at all. So it's that kind of a commitment. It's that level of commitment. I'm not going to look on things that would dishonor God. I'm going to look on God's creation and the glory of God's creation. I'm not going to look at judgment on other people. I'm going to look for the good. I'm going to look how I can serve. I'm going to use my eyes to honor God. Job 31, 1, Job said, I will, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustly on a young woman. Just put any woman in there, right? Don't look at another woman the way that you look at your wife. It's just that practice. Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. Man, that's pretty extreme. But that's, again, highlighting the devastation of sin in our life. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. So if Jesus is Lord of my mouth, I'm not going to gossip. Now, guys gossip, but I think maybe this is more of a temptation for women. I've been around women all my life. Women are awesome. Women are great. Women are beautiful. But women can be brutal. (laughs) Yeah, well, see, that, that was your risk, not mine. especially when it comes to gossip and slander. And I was talking about this with one lady. I said, you know, we should never talk bad about anybody. Oh, I don't talk bad about them. I just text it. (laughs) Well, there's no loophole here. I'm not going to use my mouth to lie. I'm not going to use my mouth to tear others down, whether I'm typing it or I'm speaking it. The intent, if Jesus is Lord of my mouth, then I'm going to use my mouth to encourage. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have critical conversations. It's not going to mean I don't speak words of tough love sometimes, but that's the motivation, still love. But I'm not going to use the Lord's name in vain. I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to tell dirty jokes. I'm not going to tear people down with my mouth. I'm going to build and encourage others up. This is what it means to be, for Jesus to be Lord, to be presenting my body and the instruments, the arms, the legs, the mind, the ears, the eyes, Everything is under God's control. Would you look at what you're looking at with Jesus sitting beside you? Would you say what you said with Jesus listening? Well, guess what? He is. <laughs> so we're living sacrifices. Romans 6, 12 through 13, Paul writes, Therefore, do not let sin reign. There's that lordship idea, king idea. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Living sacrifice. Now, our sacrifice has to be pleasing to God, and God gets gets to determine what is pleasing, not you. Because if we chose what to sacrifice, it would be easy. We would sacrifice, but it, should, it doesn't cost us anything. It's, it's an easy one. Yeah, I can give this up. I don't even use it anyway, right? It's like the old worn-out couch that you donate to the youth department, <laughs> right? 
Ouch. I, yeah, I can give that because it doesn't, I don't want it anymore. Paul says it needs to be living. In other words, we live under the impact of this new life that we've received in Christ. It's a daily experience. It needs to be holy, set apart. We've been set apart from sin, set free from the pain and penalty of sin, and so we direct our lives in service to God. Not enough just to be set apart, but now my focus is to please God. So it's living, it's holy, and it's acceptable, this living sacrifice that we offer. Think about that for a minute. Your sacrifice can be acceptable to God. Presenting your body to Christ for service can be pleasing to him. You're deformed, sin-stained, corruptible life. I can offer that to God and somehow it is well-pleasing to him? Yes, as Paul says, as long as your character and your motivation is pleasing to God. It's not that I, well, I'm going to sacrifice over here so I can live the way I want over here. Jesus, you can be Lord of this part, but I'm going to be Lord of this part. No, it doesn't work that way. It's not acceptable sacrifice that way. Jesus, I claim you as Lord of my entire life. All that I am, all that I will be is yours. And if I have an idea of what I want to do, but you have a different idea, guess what? I'm following his idea. Even though it costs me. And most times it will. I think God is calling some of you into ministry, full-time ministry. That's a sacrifice. To give your life in service is a career to God. But if God says to do it, you have to do it. If you don't, you're going to be miserable because you're not fulfilling your purpose. Again, it goes back to the idea of the Old Testament. Again, Paul being Jewish writes about sacrifice, so it reflects back to the Old Testament. Again, the Old Testament sacrifice, the lamb was unblemished. It was the best that the shepherd had to offer. The grain, the it was the first. It wasn't the leftovers. Well, listen, God hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He still expects the first and the best from us. That's what a living sacrifice offers, not the leftovers, not the damaged, but the best. Paul says, this is worthy. This is your true and proper, some translations say, reasonable worship. So what Paul is saying, in light of all this I've been explaining in 11 chapters, highlighting the mercies of God, telling that Jesus had died for you, he was your advocate, the Father has offered to adopt you, out of understanding that, this is a reasonable offering. This is not a, too much to ask, that the Father asked you to give your life as a sacrifice. People say it doesn't cost you anything to follow Jesus. It costs you everything. You give everything to him, trusting his way, believing in him that he loves us. And, and this is where Paul is driving us, to God's mercy. This is our motivation. That's why he showed us how despicable we were for 11 chapters, that we might see how merciful God is in light of who we are and how we've rebelled against him, and how we were dead, and he's made us alive, so that my response is, I will offer my life to you. Because I realize that Jesus offered his life for me. 
God revealed sin in my life, and he showed me how destructive it is. He revealed to me that Jesus came as an atonement. He paid my price. And because of Jesus, now I can be justified. I can be sanctified. I can be adopted. And one day I will be glorified. Man, sign me up. (laughs) Right? How can I not want to give that when I fully understand what Jesus has done for me? Nicholas Zinzendorf, you probably don't know his name, but he was touring a small European village and he came upon a small church and just went inside just kind of for some quiet time. And on one of the walls was a mural of the crucified Christ. So he goes over and he just begins to stare and there's a caption under the painting. It says, all this I did for thee, what hast thou done for me? He said he was so captured by that painting, he, he sat there for hours just gazing on this mural. And eventually he just began to weep as he started to deeply consider that statement, consider the crucified Christ, looking upon that image, realizing the depths that Jesus went to to save him. And he said, I realized that Jesus didn't just die to save my soul, he died to capture my heart. And his response to how he had been overwhelmed by that painting, he went out and he began actually became the leader of the missionary Moravian church movement that ultimately went to the ends of the earth. Because he kept asking that question, if this is what Jesus has done for me, what am I doing for him? That's a great question to ask, isn't it? If I realize what Jesus has done for me, there is no limit to what I will do for him, even if it costs me my life. Because I understand how merciful God is and how undeserving I am. And Paul says, this is your true and proper. This is the right way to respond in worship to God. And then verse 2, he tells us how to do it. If we're going to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, then this is how we do it. Look at verse, 12, verse 2, chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we have a presentation, right, to begin with. We present our lives as a living sacrifice. And now there is a separation. Do not conform to this world. Separate yourself. It doesn't mean go live in a cave up in a mountain somewhere. We still live life. But don't think like the world. Don't deal with pain and suffering as the world does. Don't deal with COVID-19 as the world does. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. There has to be a separation. There are a lot of different hotels here in Texas that when you go, if you get the breakfast, like Embassy Suites is, is a great one. They have a great breakfast. And I think every Embassy Suites I've been in, they always have a waffle iron. You can make your own waffles. And they're all shaped in the, as a, in the state of Texas. <laughs> I had a friend of mine visiting from another state who stayed at a hotel. And he said, you Texans, <laughs> even your waffles look like Texas. It's ridiculous. But I love it because you take the batter and you, you pour it there and, and it just kind of flows through the grooves. You, sh- you close the lid, you flip it, you watch the little r- red light come on, you wait for two minutes for the beep, then you turn it back over, open the lid, and there's Texas in the form of a waffle, right? 
It doesn't get any better than that, right? This is what Paul is saying. Don't be like that pancake batter that you just pour your life into the forms of the world. You form your way of thinking, your mind. You just, whatever's popular, whatever's now, whatever's current, whatever's happening, whatever's groovy, that's where you go. That's how you think. Whatever's the latest fad, the latest idea, the latest movement, then you just kind of, you're just free-flowing and you just kind of form to the world. Don't do it, he says. Stop conforming. Stop thinking like the world. You know the term postmodernism. Postmodernism is kind of the thought of the day. It's the philosophy of our time. And it says tolerate everything. Everything should be allowed. Believe in nothing and look out only for yourself. If you want to sum up postmodernism in a really small statement. Everything should be tolerated. You don't have a right to impress your ideas on somebody else. Make sure that you're number one. Make sure that everything you do is self-serving. Well, it's easy to fall into that trap. Paul says, don't think like the world. Don't adopt this modern way of thinking. Because not everything should be tolerated. (laughs) There is something to believe in. And Jesus said we're to carry each other's burdens. Not looking out only to our needs. In this statement, do not conform, it's an imperative. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. <laughs> He's not saying, hey, here's a great idea. Don't conform to the world. He's saying, no, if you're a living sacrifice, if you really want to be a living sacrifice, if you really want to honor God for what he's done for you, then don't conform to the world. Stop it right now. Don't think like the world. Don't act like the world. Don't be like the world. In my church in Dripping Springs, I had a lady that was a fairly new believer, and she was being discipled. And she came to church one day. She was meeting with the person discipling her. Uh, and so I was very excited about what was going on in her life. She said, yeah, I, I barely made it. I just came from my psychic to go to my discipleship meeting. And so we had another conversation. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's not the way this works. Right? I love God for this part and this kind of stuff because this is awesome, but hey, I still need to stay connected to the world because they have some stuff that I need. No, they don't. No, it doesn't. Sin has nothing to offer you except death and devastation. When Jesus is Lord, he is Lord of all. Because Paul understands this, we need to understand conforming to the world actually hinders and perverts our spiritual transformation. That's why he said this first. Stop doing something, but start doing something. It's not enough just to stop it. Now you've got to start doing something. Again, not to earn God's favor, but because you understand how merciful God has been to you. And this is where he says to be transformed. So there's a presentation as I present myself to God. There's a separation, which means I separate from sin because of Jesus Christ. And now there's a transformation that's occurring. It's not a change. It's transformation. Change is temporary. Transformation is forever. To be transformed is forever. And and what we understand and what Paul is highlighting is that true and lasting, real and lasting change occurs from the inside out. It's not about behavior modification. We can all adjust our behavior to look like something. 
We can come here on Sunday morning, we can raise our hands and we can sing and we can open our Bibles and we can conduct our behavior that looks like we're worshiping God. But in our mind, we're somewhere else. In our heart, we're cold. Jesus said that of the Pharisees, didn't he? You whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside are decaying bones. We know how to look churchy. We, we got the Christian look and the Christian language down. We, we, can, we can fool a lot of people. Paul says, if you're truly transformed, it starts in here and it starts in our mind. Because we live what we believe, do we not? You can say all kinds of things to me. Sound really good. Sound really great. But the true test is how do you live your life? Because we live what we believe. If you believe that Jesus is Lord of your life, then you're gonna, your life is going to reflect it. People are going to notice even before you say a word. Edmund Hybert said this, In a living Christianity, faith and conduct are inseparable. They go together. Two sides of the same coin. James said it, right? Without Faith without works is dead. He's not saying that we work to earn God's salvation, earn to earn his love and his grace, but because we understand how powerful his grace is, because we recognize how merciful he is, then I want to serve him with all that I am. That's reasonable. So in order to do this, our mind has to be completely changed. If we're going to live a life that is holy and acceptable to God, it starts here in my mind. How I see God how I see my relationship with God, how I see my purpose on this earth, how I understand what it truly means to worship God in spirit and in truth. Our mind is like a computer. We've heard that time and time again. So we have to delete the old files and we have to download these new ones that are offered to us through Christ. Okay, so again, how? How do I do this? I'm glad you asked. Here's three words. Initiate, meditate, and saturate. Initiate, meditate, and saturate. Say that with me. Initiate, meditate, and saturate. Initiate relationships with people that will encourage you and help you on your journey of faith. That will disciple you, that will spur you on, that will hold you accountable. Initiate relationships with people. Surround yourself with that inner circle with people that will help you, that are there for you. Meditate on God's Word. It means I don't just read through a bunch of verses to say I read through a bunch of verses, but I stop and I think and I reflect. I quote a verse. I'm quoting it all day long. In moments of silence, I'm meditating on what the Lord has said through His Word to me that day. I meditate. I take notes. I think about it. I see how it applies to my life. And then I saturate my life with music, with books, with movies, with relationships, with conversations that glorify God. I don't turn my eyes to pornography. I turn my eyes to Jesus. 
I don't use my mouth to tear others down. I use my mouth to praise my Savior, and I use my mouth to encourage others and to build them up. And if I'm in a group that's doing one of these things or doing something I know is not godly, I don't just walk away. I stop it. (laughs) I say things like, we shouldn't be talking this way. We shouldn't treat someone like this. We shouldn't be watching this. We shouldn't be listening to this. I'm going to turn it off. (laughs) I'm going to punch you in the mouth. (laughs) Don't do that. That's terrible. That's another sermon. I'm going to make you stop. I'm going to delete your text. I'm going to erase your post. And out of love, I'm going to tell you that what you're doing is wrong. What kind of difference would that make? Pretty big one, I bet. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us an understanding of what it means to be a living sacrifice. Father, you know that we're tempted just to kind of give areas of our life as a sacrifice, but if it's easy to do, it's not a sacrifice. If it doesn't cost us anything, it's not a sacrifice. Father, help us not to settle for the easy. Help us not to be afraid to pursue the difficult. Help us to know how we can present ourselves to you, living, holy, and acceptable. This is the way we want to honor you. This is the way we want to tell you how much we love you. This is how we want to demonstrate how grateful we are for what Jesus did for us. And that you are a merciful God. With our words and with our very lives. Jesus, we declare that you are Lord. In your name I pray.